Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. 368686. Emails, a distinct possibility. Rome at habitate.com. Twitter's already percolating. Keep it going because hopefully by now you know my approach. We carve out time in the 20-minute mark past the hour or so, depending on how much rambling I do to open an hour. But that is your time to voice your opinions. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. I want to be transparent. Coming up in 20 minutes, I'm talking Northwestern football. So we'll have some fun with your tweets, and then I have to get back to serious Uncle Bry using polysyllabic words on a big word Tuesday. But my goodness, we addressed the allegations yesterday in the final hour of the program. So we went from a two-week suspension on Friday, the suspension then being reevaluated over the weekend, and then yesterday afternoon, Pacific time, we found out Pat Fitzgerald is out at his alma mater. We'll get there coming up in 20 minutes. I watched every minute of Home Run Derby. I should really put my resume in play to be the next commissioner of baseball. The way I am selling the grand old game. I got a couple thoughts about the format. I'm not breaking down every swing and exit Vila with the balls jumping off the bats in Seattle. And I'll get you set for the components we should be tracking after the All-Star game. It's been a marvelous year in baseball. I'm shilling for the sport that was my first passion. And if you're a casual fan, I'm going to tell you why. I'm not going to harangue you. You can watch whatever you want. But if you're ignoring baseball, as most of us has done for a long time, you're missing a good product. Seems like we're going to be on Damian Lillard watch for a long time. Did you catch the quote made by Blazer GM Joe Cronin yesterday? If it takes months, it takes months. If he dies, he dies. So that's going to allow me to Hit pause on Lillard until the second hour of the program. I had thoughts on Victor Wembanyama in advance of what should have been his third summer league game tonight in Vegas. Shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. We're not going to see Wemby anymore. I'll tell you why coming up to tip off hour number two. The Spurs are playing that precisely right. Just two guests along the way. And in fact... The first voice, other than yours truly, unless you pick up the phone at 1-800-636-8686. Other than mine, the only outside voice you will hear until 1.40 Eastern time. And then we'll incorporate Ryan Fagan, who covers MLB for the Sporting News. He'll join us live from Seattle. And then the final content block, 2.40 Eastern time. We'll talk NBA with a good friend of the program, Brian Kalbrowski of USA Today. Bra. Cal Broski. Got a lot of energy. Big fan of Brian. I am aware of the date. 7-11. So with your tweets coming up in 20 minutes, please do not waste our time asking me how many free Slurpees I've already had today. And if you need to know, because I've been way too candid, although that's the whole point of this show. It is a community after all. I have an affinity for fast food. I'm doing what I can to eat a little bit clean, but if you need to know, I'm not a Slurpee guy. Just not my thing. I know, shocking. If you're watching the simulcast on CBS Sports Network, you might presume I've already had a dozen. But if they're free, get in there. Here's my problem. Not with 7-Eleven. Do I have a 7-Eleven read? Hi, I'm Brian Weber. I love Slurpees. Convenience stores in general 
in states in which the lottery, and that's every state now, takes precedent, if I'm just walking in, say, to get some Cheetos, I wouldn't do this, a hypothetical. Why does it take me an hour? Because now I'm in a casino. The guy in front of me is doubling down with a scratcher and has to get the Powerball. All I want to do is get my doodle on. Anyway, that's something I'll save for my podcast at the drive through window with B-Web, available on Odyssey. So, in terms of Home Run Derby, there were good elements last night. The thing still draws a sellout crowd, especially in Seattle, with all the folks supporting Julio Rodriguez. Great to see Ken Griffey Jr. on hand. And yes, the kid could join me in the steam room, but he's earned the right to live his life. Although, think about, and we'll talk Otani in a minute. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. Hop aboard at 1-800-636-8686. Your tweet's on the way in 15 minutes as I'm filibustering here. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Who has handled the burden of expectation? And we talked about that yesterday in connection to Victor Wembanyama and Shohei Otani. We knew about him coming from Japan, but no one thought that he would have a sustained run as both a pitcher and a hitter, and nobody thought he'd be top five in both those slugger and pitching roles. Well, we knew about Ken Griffey Jr. for years. He lived up to the hype, but it was a fun celebration of baseball yesterday. How about my guy, because I'm fascinated with anybody connected to the Pac-12, Adley Rushman showing off his switch-hitting skills at the plate, going yard, righty and lefty. That was kind of cool. I have... Minimal expectations for Home Run Derby, just as we do for the slam dunk competition. There was no Mac McClung moment last night, but it was a good watch other than, and if I'm going to sound like I'm jumping back to everything was better 15 years ago, I think I'm right here. The old format was better, in which you had outs in lieu of the clock. Clock! I know it got a little bit tedious because it felt like hitters then were working the count, waiting and waiting, but that was distracting last night because it was hard to track. I could have used Chris Berman. If somebody was bellowing back, 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 at least I would have known it was gone. But that's a nice problem to have. And it speaks to where baseball is this year at the All-Star break. Dare I say, baseball is back. Now, a lot of you are going to tell me it never left. I understand it is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's continuing to grow. But if we're just talking about sports we care about as a sophisticated consumer of this product or anything else you hear on CBS Sports Radio or watch on CBS Sports Network, NFL is a behemoth. If we're just going through popularity, college football is next with thoughts on Pat Fitzgerald coming up in less than 15 minutes. Then the NBA then baseball if we're tracking social currency. NBA Twitter is a thing. That's why NBA is a talking point almost year-round. Now, other than unless Lillard signs in mid-August, August, September, we back away a little bit, but the NBA has done a phenomenal job at making its news cycle nearly year-round. Baseball, as you know, is a regional sport. In a pre-NFL dominant world, we loved it because... We grew up with it. Candidly, there was nothing else on. When we moved to 5,000 channels and had better options, many people said, this is not for me. It's kind of boring. I get it. And I was amongst that crowd, although if I'm going to be totally upfront with you, I just follow the money. 
because baseball was the foundation of my career because in 1992, when I had a high-pitched voice and a lot of attitude, I could have told you Nap LeJoy's batting average. People thought that was clever or somehow insightful. So I was a lapsed baseball fan for years, primarily because of analytics, where the game had devolved into either a home run or a strikeout, and the pitch clock got me back. And now that I'm paying attention, and perhaps I should work on having, say, meaningful relationships, leave my one-bedroom apartment, Hell no, I'm just watching MLB Network. We got to whip around the big, excuse me why I whip this out. So, if you've not been paying attention, and you should if you listen to Jim every day, for example, jungle legend Tori Lovello has transformed that team. Now, it helps when you have a phenom like Corbin Carroll, but remember, the Diamondbacks, and they have cooled off a bit when you get swept by the Mets. That's not a good referendum for where you're at currently. But mathematically, at a time for first with the Dodgers, I realize the Dodgers have the tiebreaker with winning percentage as we break it down now in granular detail. But it's an Arizona team that lost over 100 games just two years ago. The Reds are relevant. Stop the presses. When was the last time, other than Joey Votto, we mentioned anybody connected to the Reds? And I'm not going to name the entire big red machine or Eric Davis and Rob Dibble, but you get my point. The Reds have been running to the ground for years, mismanaged by terrible ownership that didn't want to spend any money while they were putting in their pockets all the dough they got from revenue sharing. But what do you know? You hire the right people in player personnel and development, and you find an L.A. De La Cruz. Moving on to the Orioles. When's the last time we mentioned Baltimore after Cal Ripken Jr. and Kevin Cosner and his wife? Allegedly. Haven't yeah, talked about the Oriole way since I was a kid. Dennis Martinez is not walking through that door. Baltimore, and now I'm going to read the standings for you. I'll do box scores later in the program. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Room. You can slide in 1-800-636-8686. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Quick aside, the great Shoddy McDonald, the main fill-in Anchor with the most versatility as a host. You can plug him anywhere in our lineup on CBS Sports Radio. I used to listen to Jody Mack when I was a kid on WFAN. He did the overnight shift. His first bit is brilliant. I hope he still is doing it because I hear him on the weekends. Jody Mack, do me a favor. But if you didn't say, hey, Jody Mack, do me a favor, he'd hang up on you. That was the entire gimmick. But once you said, hey, Jody Mack, do me a favor, you could do anything you want. You could tell Dave Winfield to get his ass out of New York City. Secondly, Jody Mack used to read box scores for the Roto players in the middle of the night, and I might have come back from a watering hole. The good thing about New York City with the graft and corruption, everybody had the McLovin fake ID. So when I was 19, I looked 13 and sounded like I was 9. Somehow I was allowed into a saloon, and then you come home and you kick on the fan at 1230 in the morning, and Jody Mack is going, Tim Tuffle, two for four with a walk. So I'm not going to read you every box score. But I'm trying to give you a sense of what's happening in baseball. Good young talent across the league. The entire American League East is significantly above 500. The Marlins are in the mix. Another jungle friend of the program. UC Santa Barbara legend and Skip Schumacher doing a nice job. Of course, they're not going to catch Atlanta. But they're in first place in the National League wild card hunt. A fellow that you don't know about, you should. Luis Arise is hitting 383. 
and nobody cares because we don't love baseball anymore. But if you're just thinking about national representation, I just gave you Arizona, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Miami. In baseball parlance, those are small market teams, quote-unquote. Really, we should say ownership not willing to spend money. Same situation with the Oakland A's, and I'm in a good mood. I'm not going to have that rant today. I've been yelling about John Fisher being cheap for way too long. So baseball is in a sweet spot right now, and the timing is perfect. Because having been so upbeat, let me tell you why they have a dire future. Our entire industry is contracting. If you want to be more negative, you could say slowly collapsing because you kids won't get off TikTok. If you enjoy the show, do me a favor. Just leave your Brian Webber. Hey, B Web, do me a favor. Leave your TV on. We need you to keep that cord intact. Cord cutting is changing everything. Baseball gets the vast majority of its money from regional sports networks, which are literally dying. And within five years, when it's all streaming and you can choose, for example, here in Southern California, the Dodgers have their own network. If I could choose, I would not pay $10 to watch the Dodgers every day because I'm not a Dodger fan. Now, give me MLB Network. I'll pay for that. When it goes to a la carte, everything changes, and the finances are going to get much tighter. Now, you know about the titans of streaming. Amazon, Apple can do whatever they want because they have unlimited funds. But my point about this renaissance of baseball is this is the right time for this upswing because the future is challenging. The future is now for Shohei Otani. So I spent some time on it yesterday, and I— thought more about where the Angels are, and I was riffing to a degree, but I'm usually in the neighborhood with facts. The last time the Angels appeared in a postseason series was 2014. Mike Trout's only playoff appearance came that year, and they lost in the first round. So if you had Mike Trout, the Mickey Mantle of his generation, a line would show Otani over the last half-decade plus— and you haven't even made the playoffs, it tells you how mismanaged habitually the Angels have been. If we're just taking a step back, and you have an asset in Otani, and remember, if Otani wanted to affirm his commitment to this franchise, he could have signed a long-term contract extension in the offseason. He did not. Smart play. Betting on himself. Every time he does, he keeps upping the ante. Because... Otani has 32 home runs at the break, virtually the same pace as Aaron Judge. Top three in RBIs, top five in strikeouts, lowest opposition batting average as a pitcher in all of baseball. Superlatives are unreal, and not that many people care, even here in Southern California. Angels' attendance is steady because I hate to be as trite as to say it's Disneyland, but it's a similar attraction in Anaheim. It's a happy place. People have a good time and chill, enjoy the weather. Usually, they're there to support the opposition, but it's not a hardcore baseball atmosphere, and that's why it's a better place to live than New York, Boston, or Philadelphia, because sports is supposed to be additive. It's not supposed to be all-consuming, but if Otani wants to win, there's no question what he has to do. He has to leave Anaheim. Unless he likes the atmosphere, unless the Angels can match whatever gargantuan offer is going to come from, and let's just go through the usual suspects, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers are the likeliest, 
linkage because he wouldn't even have to move. He already has a big personal following here in Southern California. What about the Giants? What kind of rock star would Otani be in the San Francisco Bay Area with that deep and longstanding tie-in between San Francisco and Japan, the gateway to the Pacific Rim? So if Otani is leaving, unless he has privately assured Artie Marino, I'm going to hang around. The Angels have one choice and one choice only, and that's to deal Otani prior to the deadline. And maybe if he actually enjoys the experience and is comfortable with not winning anything and not really competing as the Angels have imploded, coinciding with Mike Trout going on the injured list and needing that procedure to address the broken bone in his hand. Angels 1-9 heading into the break. They're, they're not going to compete for the wild card or anything else. So the rational play here is to flip Otani as an asset. In fact, it could enhance your pitch to him. Shohei, we respect you so much. We're going to get prospects now. We're going to have them ramp up through our system. And when you sign with us... In the offseason, the roster is going to be better than it is now because it ain't working at all. And in fact, if we're talking about the massive reset this franchise needs, they should have dealt Mike Trout by now. Now, they're not going to do either one of those things, primarily because of box office. And secondarily, Artie Moreno has a delusional view of himself as a baseball man. And when the owner is that deeply involved, he's going to call the shots. But if we're just talking strategic value, there is no question what the right decision is for the Angels to make. It's right in front of them. And they have time now. Because the trade deadline, remember, no longer the non-waiver trade deadline. In fact, I was here last year when the Soto news broke, and I acted like I was Brian Kenny breaking it down at MLB Network, but that was a blockbuster. Now, Otani would break the internet if he moves. Deals get done. It is July 11th. We'll track with interest what's going to happen as we get closer to the trade deadline on July 1st. But the Angels won't do it, even though it makes more sense than the alternative. Mostly because Artie Moreno does not want to go down in the annals of baseball history as the owner who traded Shohei Otani away. And secondly, they're going to try to monetize every nickel they can if he can continue at this historic pace. On Otani Watch, every time he comes to the plate with a chance to get closer to Aaron Judge is another way for Artie Moreno to make a couple bucks. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. You can be a part of the show, 1-800-636-8686. Emails, RomanHaveATake.com. If you're going to tweet at me, you have to set it up with this premise. Hey, B-Web, do me a favor as we go third person. Your tweet's coming up. But I'm going to keep that concise. I'm going to read the good ones as curated by our outstanding executive producer, Tommy. And then I got to shift into a serious story that we covered yesterday. And then we'll advance it today. Northwestern football head coach Pat Fitzgerald is out fired yesterday amid findings of hazing within the program. He was suspended originally for two weeks on Friday. What change in the interim? We'll tackle that next. Just getting warmed up on a terrific Tuesday. I'm Brian Weber, working the alliteration hard in for Jim Rome here on CBS Sports Radio. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. 
All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. I hate to be more of a hack than I normally am, but are we back on Headbangers Ball? Ricky Rackman with you. Rule number one of radio, don't mention what's going on with the bumper rejoins, but Alvin got my attention there. I'm Brian Weber, a prisoner of 1995, in for gym room. Phone calls are a thought, taken selectively. 1-800-636-8686, your tweets on the way. We'll talk Northwestern football presently in 15 minutes. We'll make the move to the NFL. Pro Football Focus does a phenomenal job of data-driven analysis. I had some thoughts that I was constructing last night on realistic expectations for Brock Purdy, who was as sensational a find as we can think about in the history of the NFL. Mr. Relevant all the way to the NFC title game, and then he had his elbow ripped off his body. Pro Football Focus ran their simulations. They have him leading the league in picks if he plays an entire season. So, with the ambiguity about where he stands coming back from the elbow procedure, what are realistic expectations for Purdy and the Niners? We'll get there coming up. Your tweets, Smarty Basketball. Of course you like Home Run Derby. You like us. Regards, Denny's Grand Slams. What, Moon over Miami didn't want this? Well, the Cogs on a roll. It's not about the free Slurpees today. It's about convenience store mind-tricking the clerk into letting you fill a Slurpee cup up with nacho cheese and jalapenos, grabbing two large bags of Fritos for dipping, war-making poor late-night choices. I may or may not be able to identify with that. Salvador Yogo, B-Web, love your work on Tennis Channel. You're the one. Thank you very much. Are we really surprised Jess Pagula lost in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon today? I mean, really, she's connected to the Buffalo Bills. She's the Josh Allen of female tennis players. That's unfair. Although, speaking of expectations, I think the Bills have as great a burden as anybody else. And I know this is a Bills house. We will tread lightly. Sean McDermott also very quietly assumed the defensive coordinator duties when Leslie Frazier stepped away. We still don't know what happened with Stephon Diggs, although Allen went on a podcast, busting with the boys, and said coach told him to go home. More details than we knew at the time. So the Buffalo situation, beyond whatever is going on internally, really comes down to are you getting better or are you getting worse? And when you move beyond those 13 seconds in Kansas City, they have been stuck in neutral. Now, it's wonderful to go back to the playoffs every year, but remember, they grinded out that win over Miami with Skylar Thompson under center, and they had no energy whatsoever. Since I'm going WFAN, no juice, dog. They look flat at home when the Bengals came to Orchard Park and dictated the terms. A couple more. Wells in the 3-6-0. The Angels are as irrelevant as the G in lasagna. You do the math. I'll do the Alfredo. Finally, one for three CI. Last time the Reds were relevant was during my home run call. Yours, Tom Brennan. Tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the year that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, if I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a 
a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And we can and so that'll let make Mr. Brenneman, who is doing all the right things in an attempt to make a comeback, and I believe in second, third, and fourth chances, I think we'll hear from Tom again. And let's not say it was a mistake. It was a terrible choice, but he has suffered major consequences. My favorite part, as a part-time play-by-play guy, he just had to get the home run call in, and he did it seamlessly because – while that was a grotesque remark, he is a talented broadcaster. Okay, let's get serious for a few minutes. And I'm going to do this once an hour to give the story with this kind of gravity the coverage it deserves. So if I don't fully get into the salient details of the Northwestern story, I'll reset coming up top of the hour in 30 minutes. We wrapped up the program yesterday. It was the last quote-unquote take I had before we had the basketball conversation with Eric Pincus of Bleach Report in the final hour of the show with my thoughts on the Northwestern story. And my grand takeaway was it's hard to come up with a summation of a story with such murky details because the report that a law firm came up with as the conclusion of their investigation about alleged hazing within the Northwestern football program was not released. We just got the executive summary on Friday, and we found out more when Fitzgerald issued his statement, which is clearly and understandably his public platform to set up the lawsuit to get paid. And I understand it. If you have a contract, it's one thing to lose your job, and much more than the job for Pat Fitzgerald. He is the personification of that program. Northwestern football, like my alma mater, I'm going to talk a little Stanford today. I've squandered a lot of education to be wedged into this chair. There are a handful of schools that care about academics more than athletics beyond the Ivy League. There are a small number of schools that want to excel in both. However, there are compromises. And if you have a decision to make at a school like Northwestern or Stanford or Duke to a degree, or you pick it. University of California, Berkeley, University of Virginia, University of Michigan, although Michigan football is bigger than the university, it's a wonderful school. They, I think, more often than not, are going to err on the side of the university. But in this case, Fitzgerald had become as big as the school. Now, remember, this university president who made the decision, Michael Schill, did not hire Pat Fitzgerald. And Pat Fitzgerald's been there for decades, going back to when he established himself as one of the most decorated players in the history of Northwestern football. And no disrespect, that's not saying much, like Stanford football. Other than we have the upswing with Jim Plunkett in the early 1970s and John Elway, schools like that were not designed to excel in football. In fact, a lot of alumni don't like football success because it feels like it devalues our degrees. Now, obviously, I'm in a different camp because I'm the least influential alum of my university. But I know people at Northwestern who were absolutely fine with the program being marginal. Now, the problem was they were abysmal before Denny Green got there. They had the longest losing streak in modern college football history for a long time. In terms of the here and now. What changed between Friday and the dismissal yesterday? Well, it's very interesting that the president, and I read his entire letter, and I have quotes here, and we're going to revisit this once an hour, as I mentioned, still claims he has not seen all the details of the investigation. 
Some of that to me is legalese because the reason you hire a third party, especially a law firm, is you then protect yourself as a university president and the school from lawsuits. Let's say they did nothing to Pat Fitzgerald. And Pat Fitzgerald in that statement, to finish my thoughts, said it was a mutually agreed upon two-week suspension. Well, that's not a suspension then. That's a leave of absence, right? That, that to me, was a very interesting way of framing things. So Fitzgerald is claiming that he was so above board, he agreed to step away for a couple weeks, which doesn't really feel like a suspension, but I guess we're getting into semantics here. Let's say university officials did nothing. Well, the student-athlete who had the allegations could then sue Northwestern. They, the officials, would say, well, we had nothing to do with the investigation. We have plausible deniability. So that's why you go to a third party. It is interesting that the president claims he still does not know all the details, yet he then decided to go Colombo or Rockford. Is there a modern detective I could use? Simon and Simon, Jake and the Fat Man. And started to reach out directly first to the family of the football player involved and then spoke to the student athlete himself. He found the allegations to be credible. And here's a smoking gun. 11 current or former football players acknowledged the hazing had been ongoing. And that's all Northwestern needs to justify this decision from a standpoint of pushing back on the lawsuit that certainly is coming from Pat Fitzgerald. I'm going to get back to this coming up in 25 minutes. Final thought, Pat Fitzgerald, why he transformed the program, has not been a winning head coach recently. One win last year, three wins the year before. Go back a couple years prior, 2019, three wins. I'm not saying that tipped the balance against him. But if he was winning eight, nine, ten games every year, and I'm not being cynical, I live in the real world, I think he would have built up even more equity that would have made it harder for him to be forced out because there was a middle ground there. Could have been a six-game suspension. It didn't have to go from a nonsensical slap on the wrist to you're fired. We'll talk more about it and the implications, but my, my key takeaway is At a school like Northwestern, football should not be bigger than the university. They care more about Nobel laureates and national championships, and they should. After all, beyond the billions of dollars involved in big-time college sports, theoretically, it's about education, and I know I'm not living in the real world there. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. We'll get back to this topic coming up in 25 minutes straight ahead. We will venture into the NFL. I mentioned Brock Purdy coming off the elbow procedure. So can the Niners count on Purdy to come close to the magic that he achieved a year ago? That is on the way first. Time for a sports update. Here is U.S. Andrew Cellular Bush. has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Getting closer to the second hour of the program. Plenty of opportunities for you to get involved. 1-800-636-8686. Emails, romanavatake.com. 
tweets have been entertaining. Let's maintain that momentum. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Top of the hour in just over 15 minutes. More thoughts on Northwestern. And I realize I try to be self-aware, although if you say you're self-aware, you're probably not. I get a little ponderous when I get into these legal thoughts. So I will pick up the pace. I will not pretend that I am a member of the bar. You know, I've been to a couple bars. Hi-oh! I just mentioned I had a McLovin fake ID in 1988. I will give you thoughts as to, is this going to change the culture of big-time college football? Here's a preview. No. I think a lot of schools would have said, okay, we appreciate the wonderful investigation. We always keep the thoughts and the well-being of student-athletes top of mind. But the balancing act is you're suspended for a month or four games. Some schools would not have fired Pat Fitzgerald. We'll talk more about perhaps why Northwestern did and why other schools should follow their lead. That's coming up. And we'll talk NBA. I now have a little bit more of a reason to avoid Damian Lillard. Watch, 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 watch. Because the GM of the Blazers, Joe Cronin, said... Months could be the timeline, and we'll have a few more thoughts on Wemby Mania, which is now going to be paused for a while because the Spurs are not going to let the French sensation play anymore in Summer League. Tell you the thought process behind that, in addition to avoiding injury. It's the right move from a PR standpoint. That's coming up. Let's talk NFL. Getting closer to the start of training camps, and as you track key elements across the league. San Francisco, highly intriguing, primarily because of what Kyle Shanahan has done at the quarterback position. They have demonstrated beyond the cliche that you can find a dude at Home Depot and bring him in. It is quite literally plug and play. C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins famously on a Thursday night, and Brock Purdy, is a sparkling example of the coaching acumen on a big word Tuesday and the advantage of the scheme that Kyle Shanahan runs plus the Niners, as Carolina was saying, thank you very much, dumping everything they could to maximize their possibility of getting the number one overall pick. They sold Christian McCaffrey to the Niners and McCaffrey will make any quarterback look serviceable. But... Purdy now has the challenge not only of having to measure up to distorted expectations based on having zero thoughts that he was going to do anything last year when he was pressed into duty. Remember, he was the third string rookie quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant for a reason. I think of most conventional wisdom said the Niners would be okay based on their Defense, and remember, they went out and got Hargraves from Philadelphia, so they bolstered that front seven, which was already ferocious. And the surrounding cast, when you think about Kittle and Samuel and McCaffrey, but could they really make a deep run in the playoffs with Brock Purdy under center? And to his credit, he was a high-end game manager. If you're watching the simulcast, terrific work as always on CBS Sports Network. The key metric, 13 touchdowns against just the four interceptions. So, if you're on Team Purdy, you're going to tell me, we have a good chunk of a sample size. We have body of work. He can do that again. My counter would be, year two for any quarterback, much more challenging because 
Defense coordinators have all that tape to dissect, and they're going to scheme you differently. I was thinking of a comp, and this is a bit of a stretch, but my gimmick is history. Go back to the Dolphins pre-Dan Marino. In fact, they made a Super Bowl before Dan Marino. Now, the asterisk, really have to sound that word out, asterisk. Strike year, 1982, a fellow named David Woodley still has the historic footnote as the youngest quarterback to start in a Super Bowl. He's 24 years old. He was an eighth-round pick out of LSU when we had more than seven rounds. I think if Purdy had the opportunity to be drafted in the eighth, ninth, or tenth round if they existed, he might have fallen that low. That's how much of a question mark there was surrounding him coming out of college because he's limited from a physical standpoint. Well, the reason you probably haven't heard of Woodley is he didn't do that phenomenally in the Super Bowl. And in the draft, Dan Marino was selected by Miami, and that was it for the comment that was David Woodley. I'm not saying Purdy's going to disappear, but I do think it's fair to have realistic doubts about how – successful he's going to be this year if the Niners ask him to do more as they should he's far more comfortable with the system he will have more of a command of what Kyle Shanahan is trying to accomplish but some of that is also going to be slowed by the fact that we don't know where he is right now coming back from the elbow surgery and just as a fan That NFC title game was a debacle, and I don't root for anybody. I'm looking for the best stories to analyze. Once he had that elbow ripped off his body, the Niners never had a chance, and Josh Johnson's running around. So San Francisco is a puzzling team on some level. You have to admire their consistency. The run to the Super Bowl, and I can close my eyes even smaller right now and see Jimmy Garoppolo with the overthrow. If that's a connected pass, probably a different outcome. Still, they make it to another round of the title game with Garoppolo. They make it to an NFC Championship game with Brock Purdy based on the overall strength of the roster. If we're just stacking who's got the most talented collection of players side-by-side, Kansas City, even with their defensive deficiencies right there because they can outscore you 42 to 35 if need be. Mentioned Buffalo, Cincinnati, clearly Philadelphia, and the Niners are right there. But to win a Super Bowl, I think you need more than just functioning and serviceable under center. And I mentioned, because I have no life, and while I was enthralled watching Home Run Derby, I actually did some research. What a novel concept. I threw Brock Purdy in the old Google machine and came up with this nugget from Pro Football Focus. They run simulations of everything, and these are projections, but it's not like Stratomatic Baseball. This is AI kind of stuff. And I know once they get a robot in this chair, I'm long gone. That's why I'm trying to hustle as much as I can and did some due diligence last night. Pro Football Focus, their simulation has the Niners with Purdy under center starting every game winning 12 games. They won 13 last year, so right in the same vicinity. They have him leading the league in interceptions based on all the reasons that I laid out. In fact, they have him with 18 interceptions. That's three more than Dak Prescott imploded with last year. And if we look beyond Brock Purdy, as of now, Sam Darnold is still second on the depth chart. The 30 for 30 surrounding Trey Lance is going to be Fascinating. The Niners go all in to get him. He finally gets the opportunity. 
He gets hurt. He literally gets Wally Pipp. No, he got Brock Purdied. And now I think the Niners would unload him if they could get anything of value in return. But history tells us on the most narrow of an evaluation for San Francisco, you need depth at that position because their quarterbacks keep getting banged up. And for a franchise with this legacy and heritage, I know this sounds over the top. Just making it to the NFC title game is not enough for San Francisco 49er fans. You can understand why. They will immediately say Joe Montana and Steve Young. And when expectations are that skewed, when Purdy, if in fact we see him fully healthy week one, goes through what I think would be a predictable period of struggles, he's going to have a lot more of a rude reception than he did last year when he was a unicorn, when he was this storybook icon that emerged from nowhere Niner fans, based on my experience years ago, working in that marketplace and just tracking what's going on around the country, are demanding. And now that they've had a couple NFC Championship game losses, they're looking for a lot more. And I just find it hard to believe, other than that division, if we're just going to go through the hierarchy of divisions, think about how lousy the bottom of the NFC West is. Arizona is abysmal. Wondering if Kyler Murray is going to be fully healthy coming back from the torn ACL for week one. I mentioned in passing, ESPN put out their ranking of NFL rosters. They had the Rams at 31. Think about the Rams right now. If I just said, who are the best L.A. Rams? You'd go, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, who's third? Matthew Stafford? Bueller, Bueller, who's fourth? Cam Akers? Going to be another rough year in Southern California. So, Niners can load up, beating up the bottom of the division. We'll see if Seattle's for real. Remember, they wrote Geno off. He didn't write back. Put it all together, though. The Brock Purdy question mark, to me, is the one most worth tracking moving forward. Getting closer to hour number two. Wemby Mania is over for now. I'll tell you why the Spurs are making the right decision in Vegas. Webber and Rome here on CBS Sports Radio. Easing into another hour of the program. Great to have you with us on a busy Tuesday. 1-800-636-8686. The number to call emails. RomanHaveATake.com. We'll have a huge tweet in the final hour of the program. That's B.W. Weber. Weber with two B's. More of your interaction coming up in 20 minutes. Then we will say hello to our first guest today. Say hello to Ryan Fagan. We're talking all-star shining in the Emerald City. Midsummer Classic tonight. Ryan is in Seattle. He does a marvelous job of covering MLB for the sporting news. In 20 minutes, since I'm trying to have a balanced program to offset my lack of a balanced diet, I'm just beating you to the tweets because I know they're on the way. More NFL. As I'm going through what I think are the most important developments of the offseason, And hopefully you've noticed I've not gone all in on Aaron Rodgers because I know what's coming. I'm pacing myself. I will talk some Aaron Rodgers just to make sure I've checked the adequate boxes. But in addition to Rodgers taking his talents to New York City, I think Sean Payton going to Denver is massive. So given his coaching resume, given what he has done historically, and the similarities between Drew Brees and Russell Wilson stylistically, not the biggest guys, and what you're going to do to maximize the output. 
clearly Russ can't be worse than last year. It, if he had anything approaching just a mediocre head coach at all, Nate Kanakit was not even in the same zip code. Maybe the most overmatched head coach we've ever seen in the recent run of the NFL. But Russ didn't help himself out either. He looked like he had regressed even more than we saw the slippage in Seattle. And according to reports, now he is taking the time to refine his body. So he looks less like a sack of potatoes. That's coming up in 20 minutes. The dilemma for Denver, the division. Divisions matter, man. Kansas City and even the Chargers. I'm amazed, although I'll tread lightly. Friend of the program, who's a big tennis fan, incidentally. Brandon Staley still has a job based on bizarre decision-making and that implosion against Jacksonville in the postseason. Going to talk Dame Lillard and Victor Wembanyama here. Just want to add a few more thoughts to Northwestern football. And I'm doing it methodically because I think there's a lot of important context to add. So if you weren't with us in the first hour of the program, I gave you the overview as to a radical transformation in the span of 72 hours. And Friday, it felt like the classic news dump. Get a story out heading into a weekend, especially last week during the holiday week in which most of you hopefully have better things to do than track what's going on in the world of sports. So I thought it was odd that the announcement from Northwestern indicated a two-week suspension for Pat Fitzgerald connected to allegations of hazing, but they didn't give us any details. And the way the school had cover for that was saying, we went to a law firm. They did their independent investigation. Essentially, they said the law firm found enough to substantiate the claims in general, but didn't have any specifics, which was weird. And then it took the student newspaper. Too bad Jack Savage is running wild throughout Europe. And that's documented on Twitter. I'm not exposing what Jack is doing when he's not punching the clock. But we could have a roundtable with a proud Northwestern alum who went to the outstanding Medill School of Journalism. Real journalists doing real work while they're still in college. They got all of the specifics involving the sexual nature of the alleged hazing. That got the university president to jump in. Saturday night at midnight Eastern time, the school issues a press release saying that the university president is reevaluating the punishment. Yesterday, I was calling for the full report to be released. Let's find out what the investigation actually found. Northwestern didn't do that. They went to the thermonuclear option and they fired Pat Fitzgerald. And think about the implications there. Pat Fitzgerald is the face of that program going back to when he was an outstanding college football player. His name, I'm sure, is all over the facility because he's written big checks because he's also been paid very well. And now, understandably, he wants his money because Northwestern has fired him, it appears, for cause, meaning you go away and you don't get the parachute. So what changed over the weekend? I think because of the nature of the allegations. And I'm aware this show is airing in the middle of the day. I'm not going through all of the salacious details. They are repulsive. And if you get to a place in which it's, quote-unquote, sexualized hazing, it's even worse. And, of course, hazing of any kind is wrong. And I don't want you thinking that 
Somehow, I am trying to take down football hazing occurs in women's volleyball, unfortunately, women's soccer. It happens too frequently in sports and should not be permitted. Pat Fitzgerald supporters say he didn't know. Ignorance is not an excuse. Because if you don't know, you should have known. And I keep getting back to the bottom line because I've been around big-time college sports long enough. Fitzgerald won a total of four games the last two years. Go back to 2019, he won three games. Let's just tell it like it is. If Northwestern was winning eight, nine games regularly, and that's a big ask given the demands of their student-athletes, Northwestern football players actually go to school, a novel concept. But if Pat was winning the way he used to, I think there's an accommodation. Is that right? No. Ethics should prevail. But we're talking about college football. Ethics and college football are never used in the same sentence. I'm just amazed that the university president, I understand why, still is claiming he has not seen the actual details of the investigation. A lot of that is bureaucratic protections. So, and it extends throughout the campus. Remember, this is a private school. So let's say you're a student and you say something horrific happened to you in the cafeteria. Well, there's going to be an independent investigation, and then the administrators are going to say, we had nothing to do with the process. The investigators found this conclusion. Don't sue us. This is all about CYA, and if you're interested in how it's going to play out, Fitzgerald's already foreshadowed he's lowering up because he wants his dough. I don't think this is career-ending for Pat Fitzgerald because there's no smoking gun. Because thankfully, nobody wound up in a hospital or worse. And again, in no way am I mincing words here. I'm not condoning hazing whatsoever. It's 20 freaking 23. Let's evolve. But I've been around big-time college football long enough to know that the culture persists, and it's going to be harder and harder, lest the players push back. And in this instance, Northwestern alleges that it wasn't just a rogue student-athlete. It was a total of 11 current or former football players confirming, to a degree, the allegations of hazing. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. I'm auditioning for National Public Radio, and I'm putting the audience to sleep. How about Lillard? Watch, watch, watch. So this thing is going to go on for months and months and months. And I admire the transparency of Blazer GM Joe Cronin. Quote yesterday, if it takes months, it takes months. Stop asking me the same question. There's no deadline. Blazers can slow play this thing all the way, I think, until training camp. That would be the soft deadline because then Dame stays away. But you have every other Blazer with a microphone in their face on media day. Hey, Scoot Henderson, you're the new face of the franchise. How do you feel about Dame? And from a PR standpoint, that's typically what teams want to avoid. So if we're just talking about when this long national nightmare might come to a conclusion, I'd say the fall. Doesn't have to slow play it with that kind of duration, but I'm trying to be a realist. When we get to the end of all of this, what's going to change? I don't think much. I think it's going to be Miami. And I think the only question comes down to this, the level of compensation. Because Portland, to justify to their fan base, the only identifiable star they have left leaving and to do their job of trying to reconstruct this roster they need as many assets as they can get and Tyler Hero is not moving the needle 
but they can flip him in to another first-round pick. Miami sends him a couple. You get, say, Brooklyn involved. They got nothing but assets because they've already endured Kevin Durant forcing his way out, followed by Kyrie Irving. I think the sum total is going to be Portland gets a threshold of three first-round picks. That's the precedent set by the Anthony Davis deal. Four is the goal because we saw that in Durant and Gobert's transactions, plus some players, and then we ignore Portland for two to four years as they rebuild. Look at Oklahoma City. Now, I know you don't care about a team that was at the bottom of the Western Conference, but that's a good young team. And as we make the transition to Summer League thoughts, Chet Holmgren has looked good. Again, I need a life, but I'm watching NBA TV. I like to watch basketball. It's just background noise. It's a comfort food, if you will, with your tweets coming up in 10 minutes. Yes, I like macaroni and cheese of all kinds. You can throw the lobster in there as well. So take that off your list. P.W. Weber, Weber with two beings, 1-800-636-8686. In 30 minutes, we talk baseball at the All-Star break with Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News. Chet Holmgren looks good, and people forget he went down with a foot injury in an exhibition last summer. We didn't see him at all last year. You put him now back at 100% as a dynamic post-performer, especially on defense with all the blocks. OKC's okay, a good young team. Another impediment to the rise of San Antonio. So we're not going to see Victor Wembanyama anymore. I still feel like Britney Spears should be seated courtside at a Spurs game, and he should come over and hug her just to complete the bit. As a recovering wrestling fan, this feels like Miss Elizabeth and the Macho Man back in the day. You need maybe George Animal Steel to broker the superpowers coming together. Although it does, and I was thinking more about the significance of the bizarre Brit Brit incident. Now, unless Brittany, and I'm on Team Brittany here, do not get me started, leave Brittany alone. Unless Brittany just wanders around Las Vegas looking to take pictures with people, and maybe she does. I don't think that's the case. I think she knew who he was, or her husband did, or somebody in her entourage. That speaks to the global popularity of Victor Wembanyama, Because if Britney Spears knows who you are, in my world at least, because I'm still watching classic VH1s and behind the music, who is that? Jim Forbes. There's your inside radio narration trivia. Britney Spears knew who Wemby was. Speaking to the insane expectations he's got to deal with moving forward. So the Spurs, I think, played it exactly right. After we saw the predictably rusty performance on Friday, just to a 13th floor, he bounces back. He plays well on Sunday, 27-12, and 12, knocks down a couple threes, more block shots. That shifts the narrative. I don't love the word, but it's a reality. That changes the social media view that Wemby can't play. Because I was following along on NBA Twitter on Friday night, and you young people, you TikTokers, were crucifying Wemby. And I realized, looking for fairness in social media, probably not the best play, but the rush to judgment was as predictable as if he had 45 points, he was on his way to the Hall of Fame. So he had the confidence boost and a quality game now, there's no reason to put him out there, especially in the context of Summer League, because he's playing with a bunch of dudes 
in large measure that aren't going to be on his roster when we get to the regular season. And even if they are going to play together, they got all a training camp. Why would you run the risk of putting Wembanyama back on the floor? Because the biggest concern I think we all have for him is his lean physique. Now, we can be envious, but he's 7'4", and he just looks way thin. And those legs are going to fill out. The rest of the body is going to come together as he spends time in the weight room. So there, I think, is a nice confluence here of ended on a high note. Well, Mignon also said on Sunday, this is the last time you're going to hear from me for a while because that's how the Spurs play it. So he'll disappear. There'll be some activity on Twitter or Instagram, but he's not going to be doing one-on-ones or making the talk show circuit. What talk shows are left? He's not going to be on Jimmy Kimmel. Well, they're down with the writer's strike. He's not going to show up on every podcast, and that's smart because he's already been so overexposed that it's good for him to go away for a while. When he comes back, what do we think about the Spurs this year? Not too much. There's a reason they were in position to claim him in the lottery, because they have an abysmal roster. And overall, even if they are markedly improved, remember, we're talking about the Western Conference. I just told you OKC was right there in that play-in mix. Going to be even better now with the return of Chet Holmgren. They have the reigning champs in Denver, and I'm aware because I was doing a lot of radio last week and tracking every small transaction. Losing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green will be impactful. That's two of the eight rotation players, but so long you have a healthy Jokic and Murray, we saw the separation between Denver and everybody else. Suns with Bradley Beal now being added to the 1-2 of Booker and Durant, second-best team in the West. Frank Vogel, friend of the program, with a good history for coaching up big men. Going back to Roy Hibbert in Indy and a healthy Anthony Davis in the bubble for the Lakers, I think will jumpstart Jerry Ayton's career. Can't be any worse because the relationship had soured with Ayton and Monty Williams. And then a collection of teams. We should talk about, oh, by the way, the Kings, they were ahead of schedule last year. I realize they didn't make it past their series with the Warriors, but Fox and Sabonis only going to be a year better. I don't love what the Warriors did, but they can't be as abysmal as they were last year on the road. And getting rid of Jordan Poole, while I am in no way back to, I'm not supporting hazing, obviously. I'm not justifying anything Draymond Green did. Draymond Green punched a dude in the face, and got away with it, and then got $100 million. And you got Poole now in Washington being asked questions about Green and just wants to restart things. Chris Paul's going to add nothing. But if Clay Thompson can finally start replicating his form of the past and shake off the consequences of the Achilles and the ACL and be a more reliable second option with Steph... Warriors, as we saw in the playoffs, will be in the mix there. Lakers, I don't love what they did in free agency as much as some of the people who hand out grades for a living. And I'll pose the question coming up in the final hour of the program when we say hello to Brian Kabrowski of USA Today. How much better are the Lakers? Is LeBron really satisfied with, quote-unquote, running it back? I understand why they did it, because if you're Rob Palenka, the team at last 
has a core around LeBron and AD, an amazing disparity between how lousy they were before the deadline and getting contributions from Hashimura and Reeves. And, and I understand the thought process here, but did they get that much better? Or are we just assuming that playing together with those guys, the reasons why I believe the Kings are going to take a big step forward is those guys are more talented, Fox and Sabonis, than Reeves and Hashimura. There's a reason why Hashimura's bounced around the league. Reeves was undrafted, taking nothing away from what he meant to the Lakers in the postseason. He was their third best player. But I'm just not buying the Lakers' ascendancy as much as some are. But I just rattle off a bunch of teams. How about the Grizzlies with Marcus Smart? And you're going to say no John Morant. Memphis has proven repeatedly they can win without John Morant prior to the suspensions because he kept getting banged up. So it's a gauntlet in the West, even with a transcendent talent like Victor Wimbanyana. San Antonio is not sniffing the playoffs, and that's okay. This is about him establishing himself as the future face of the NBA, learning on the job, and letting his body mature. 19 years old and such a phenom. Britney Spears wanted the autograph for the selfie. Oops, Let did it again. I'm Brian Weber. I'm not that innocent. 1-800-636-8686. Playing the hits. Emails, RomanHaveATake.com. Your tweets on the way. B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs in 25 minutes. We talk All-Star Baseball. Ryan Fagan's in Seattle for the Midsummer Classic. We'll check in with the senior MLB writer for the Sporting News. Up next, back to the NFL. I mentioned, I think, Sean Payton coming to Denver, the second most important offseason development, second only to Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Can Payton resurrect Russell Wilson's career in the Mile High City? A lot more to get to. I appreciate the company on a Tuesday. Weber in for Rome here on CBS Sports Radio. Good night, night.